years come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it For many pheasant hunters, the season has already come to a close. But that's not true everywhere. Kansas and Nebraska are both open for pheasant hunting and quail hunting till the end of January. And it's been true of those two states for a long time. They've, they've had seasons that go into the end of January. But South Dakota extended their pheasant hunting season through the end of January, just back in 2020. Um, So this will be the fourth year of pheasant hunting into January in the pheasant capital of the country. So with two weeks remaining in the season, as you listen to this episode of On the Wing podcast, I decided to hit up a longtime Pheasants Forever chapter volunteer, a lifelong South Dakota resident, and a pheasant hunting fanatic. Joining me for today's episode of On the Wing Podcast is Darwin Wheeldryer, and he is going to give us some insider tips on late season long tails in the pheasant capital of South Dakota. Darwin, thank you very much for making time to join me today. You're welcome, Bob. It's a great honor to sit here and visit with you about our shared passion of hunting pheasants and habitat in general. I'm a habitat guy. Um, I know that's the key to everything we do, whether it's nesting, early season hunting, or this late season stuff that we're uh, currently going through here in South Dakota. So um, yeah, just a pleasure to be here and visit with you today. Yeah, so we, from a marketing perspective, you know, you mentioned your habitat guy. I was thinking, as you said that, we sort of, we create these personas, and we call them personas that we market around through the website and social media, and some of those personas, the, the gear junkie, person that just loves the newest, right. latest and greatest shotgun or hunting vest. There's the the bird hunting fanatic. There's the hardcore pheasant hunter. There's the traditions passing parent. And then there's the habitat hero. And if anybody were to follow you on social media, they'd know that you fall into that habitat hero persona. That, you know, right out of the gates, that's what you identify with, isn't it? It is. It is. I I mean, for me, that's, that's the root of everything we love to do. Um, we need the landscape and we need the habitat to go out and enjoy these outdoors and enjoy, you know, what, what we just, what our passion is. And, you know, like you said earlier, um, I love pheasant hunting. Um, I, I'm a true believer in the evolution of a hunter. And, Mm. you know, I went through many stages, you know, growing up and, you know, just, I grew up, you know, on a small farm, North of Western and Springs, South Dakota, um, My dad farmed, you know, a section of land and another 80 acres. You know, that was just the way it was back then. But, you know, I was raised on a farm. Um, You look at the old outdoor life covers or field and stream or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you see this young kid chasing a cottontail or a squirrel. Well, that was me, you know, and, Mm. you know, that's kind of where it all started and watching my older brother and my cousins hunt, you know, this and that, you know, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in evolution. And a quick story for you. Um, there was a guy that bought some property south of Western Springs. He was an out-of-stater, bought this property, wanted to build up this great habitat for pheasants. And he did that. Um, he did that with the help of my father, father-in-law, actually, who kind of gave him some guidance along with Pheasants Forever's biologists and such. And um, he built this marvelous, marvelous landscape, two quarters, and it had everything that was necessary for a pheasant to uh, uh, nest and brood, brood rearing up to shooting roosters into the fall. Well, mm. he did this, but the guy 
just truly wanted to look at him. He hardly hmm. ever carried a gun. He hardly ever hunted it. There was thousands of birds out there. So the story I'm going to tell you is one day we're out at the place and my father-in-law comes out and I'm, you know, in the summer and spring, I'm doing all this habitat work, you know, got CRP chores to do and this and that. And we're sitting there watching these birds fly. And I said to uh, my father-in-law, I said, and this guy's name was Fred. And I said, God dang it. I said, I've turned into Fred. I said, now all I want to do is raise these beautiful birds and look at them, and I'm okay with not even shooting them. So, you know, that evolution is a true thing. You know, you start plinking and plunking, and then you get a little older, you're into limits, and then you get a little older, you're into more of, you know, okay, I want to find some gnarly stuff and challenge myself harder. And then you get my age, and it's just love the habitat. But I, I think it's just, you know, realizing you know, that, you know, if I want this to carry on, you know, this mm -hmm. is part of my responsibility at this time as a landowner um, to kind of showcase a little bit. And I love to showcase my property, um, not to brag or anything like that, but we're, we're proud of it. And I've seen the fruits of the labor do the work. Um, mm. You know, we had very few pheasants, we had a few, but uh, the minute I started this, you know, our numbers just exploded and we're very fortunate. Um, but you know, I'm a, uh, I live and die by your, by your guys's mission. Um, it's, it's habitat, you know, habitat is the mission forever is the vision. I think is that something goes like something like that, but you know, <laughs> and hunting's the motivation. Yes. Yes. So, right? so right? yeah, just a little kickoff there, you know, but yeah. Um, mm. I'm just very passionate about the habitat and um, Pheasants Forever and your guys' leadership and everything you guys do to lead the way. Um, it's just, that's why I'm a lifelong member. That's why I'm a lifetime um, member. So, it, Well, thank you for being a life member and thank you for the habitat work you do. If folks want to take a look at some of your photos and your property, uh, throw out your, in, your, your social media handles if people wanted to scroll while we're talking. Yeah, well, kind of like we also talked earlier, you know, as I get older, my interest in technology is kind of waning, but I still do use some social media. You can find me on Facebook, you know, under Darwin Wheel Dryer. Um, and then uh, my Twitter is, uh, geez, now you're challenging me. It's like remembering your home <laughs> phone number. Darwin right? for the win? DW for the win is dw my, for the yep, win that's yep. right. goes back to my old uh, basketball days an old radio announcer one time when i was fortunate mm -hmm. to drop one through the bucket at the at the end so <laughs> dw for the win so um yeah so that's where i typically share most of my stuff i um you know um and i do and i'll throw pictures out there once in a while and it's it's kind of a year-long deal you know i start in mm -hmm. the spring um you know, kind of how our conditions, you know, leading up and whether it's dry or wet and, and just kind of follow it through the summer and into the fall and try to just, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very proud South Dakotan. Um, I'm proud of our um, heritage, our pheasant hunting heritage in this state. And I always think if there's anything I can do to um, encourage visiting our great state and all of our wonderful little rural towns, that uh, can use the dollars and uh, welcome these hunters. And I think that's one of the best things we do in the state is just open our arms and welcome people. And, um, you know, if I can show showcase a little bit what our season's looking like, because I know we get beat up a little bit on the uh, road survey deal once in a while. But, um, you know, if I can share that information and there's a bunch of others that can do the same, it does give a little bit of an indication what we're looking at. So, yeah, just part of part of my passion um and what yeah. i like to do i i i love that and I've, I've talked about it before how south dakota when i go as a non-resident to south dakota with with my blue plates mm -hmm. is out of state you know I'd go to a different state they call us blue platers in south dakota i feel wanted when i show up with blue plates that is not true of the other states right. surrounding Minnesota, they they don't. I don't feel wanted by a lot of people right. uh, when I show up in North Dakota, Iowa, for instance. But when when we uh, when we travel to South Dakota, there is a rolling out of the orange carpet 
for the non-resident hunter to to feel welcome, to feel appreciated for the dollars we're bringing, right. for the licenses we're buying, for the you know the hot beef commercials we're purchasing right. in the cafes. So that that's that is a really cool aspect of the state of South Dakota and the residents that uh, by and large feel very appreciative towards non-resident hunters. So, you know, for you to articulate that, thank you very much. It does make a difference. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, one of the reasons we are okay with you blue platers, Bob, we know most of you carry those over-under, so you're going to shoot twice and miss, and you're not hurting any of our population. So, you know, us South Dakotans carry them semi-autos because we know it's tough hunting. You're going to need a couple extra at some point, so... I kind of walked into that one, didn't I? Darwin? You did. You did. We kind of have a standing jokes about the, uh, yeah, you know, the uh, blue platers, whatever you want to call. And um, it, it's this is all in joking fun. Understand yeah, that. Yeah. Not digging at anyone, but, you know, it's a beautiful 2800, 828 under Benelli and yeah. all that. That's a pretty gun you got there, you know, but you're going to need, you know, some more ammo, buddy. <laughs> oh that's wonderful well uh, you touched on this you you're lifelong south dakotan you're from westington springs what else fill in a couple of gaps before we dive into the meat of the episode about you know what you um you know where you grew up did you grow up as a bird hunter um you know you mentioned growing up um on a family farm anything you missed as you want to kind of lay the background for us you know um not really bob um you know like i said you know i'm a lifelong resident born and raised here um small farm um i'm i'm a farm kid at heart yet you know i i do not farm other than my work i do on the property now you know i was fairly young when i lost my mother in 99 uh she died of ovarian cancer and then my dad followed in 03 so i was relatively young in my 30s you know but I had this passion and I um, it took me a while after dad passed to kind of create this vision Um, but I knew I loved to hunt and this and that and um, I was given this opportunity on this land and um, I slowly created this vision what would dad be proud of you know how can I carry Mm. on what was important to him sort of deal Um, and he had some things you know he was pretty staunch about you know um, you know not breaking up native ground you know this and that so always kept that in the back of my mind and how do I make this work Um, you know pay the taxes and this and that Mm -hmm. do all these things um, still provide for my own family you know kind of thing Um, but yeah I, I grew up on that farm um, it's, it means so much to me today, even more so now that I've been able to carry this on and hopefully pass it on another tradition. I've got a son who's uh, 30 and I've got a nephew who hunts a lot out at the property who's about 30, what's uh, probably late thirties, you know, and I'm really trying to work to, uh, make sure this carries on and they see the importance They know it was their grandpa's and I'm very excited about that opportunity. So, yeah, you know, just a South Dakota kid who loves to hunt. Um, I didn't grow up around water. Um, I I like to fish. I go out and fish, but I was never around it. You know, Um, my dad was, you know, you stayed at home work. We'd go fish a couple dams for some bullheads or whatever when I was a kid. (laughs) But, um, you know, um, I did get into fishing a little more. But, you know, this occupies a lot of my time. Um, and, mm-hmm. and hunting's my passion, um, and mm-hmm. pheasant hunting is, um, I, I'm a very um, aware to the importance and the values it has offered so many generations prior to me, and I still see it today, and I think mm-hmm. it's just so important that um, I do my part um, to kind of lead the way, maybe, maybe someone else will follow, um, sort of deal, so... Um, yeah, just I'm a, I'm a, just a good South Dakota human being, and uh, we like to, we like to shoot birds, and uh, uh-huh. you know I do a little big game hunting as well. Um, I do like to uh, do a little deer hunting on the property here and there, a um, little bit of waterfowl, not a lot, um, but you know when the geese fly over and if there's an opportunity, it's pretty fun to lay in the corn strips that may have been combined or something and and shoot some geese too. But um, just generally. Uh, 
love the state of South Dakota. It's it's wide, wide range of landscape mm-hmm. change from west to east. Um, you know, you, I I actually live in Pier. I've been in Pier about 30 years, 31 years working for state government with uh, the Department of Corrections, and um, you know, so I see what Pier has to offer, and it's just always amazes me. You know, when I drive and you know seeing these big coveys of sharp tail and chickens you know around Mm. the pier area and then you go 45 miles east and you just kind of run out of them but what's really neat in the western and springs area we're really starting to grow some coveys of grouse and prairie chickens Mm. in fact i bounced a a covey of uh, sharpies here on saturday when i was out for a walk on the property of about 30 and uh it's just um Habitat does wonderful things, but in our area, I really believe it's just um, better science to um, our grasslands are better managed and we're starting to see a little of that fruit of that labor just by managing our soil conditions in our grasslands and in our particular area because that's about as far east as you'll find, you know, these sharp tails and chickens, you know, so um, Mm. it's very encouraging, um, you know, to see this happening and people are getting more wise on how to better manage grass and i really articulate that too um what's happening on the landscape is why we're seeing that over in our neck of the woods Mm. a little bit more but yeah it's pretty cool so when i think about you i am i think you're one of the people that i can point to and say there's a positivity of social media because I think the, our first connection was through Twitter. Mm-hmm. And maybe a decade ago, you asked if I was coming to South Dakota. I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. actually heading there for opening weekend. And you invited me to um, the banquet in Westenden Springs yes, the night before opening day. And I w- it was on my way to where I was heading. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, why not? I'll just stop in. And it just that, that friendly... You know, we can beat up social media mm-hmm. till the day is long, but there's been some amazing things that have happened from a positive perspective. And I look at you as one of those things where, yes, you were a longtime volunteer by that point, but you, that's how I connected with you. Um, just, hey, come come to the banquet, say hi. And, and from that point on, we've been, you know, it's not like we hang out all the time, right. but friends on social media and interact and um, you have been involved with the chapter for a long time, haven't you? D- kind of tell tell us, tell me, because I don't know this story here. How did you got involved with Pheasants Forever as a volunteer, and and kind of what keeps you going um, today, and as you move as we move into twenty twenty four? Right. Well, first of all, I remember that well, Bob, and you're right. Um, I remember um, I had posted something on Twitter, and I take Pheasants Forever, and it was a fairly significant number of um, young August brood, you know, a couple of them, and it was a pretty impressive sight. Um, it was early morning, and, and I think you responded and asked if you could share that or something, if I remember correctly. I said, absolutely, mm. and I think that kind of is how our um, common interest kind of brought us together sort of, sort of deal. So, yeah, um, but, you know, my involvement with Pheasants Forever really started again. It goes back to when when dad passed away so you know we're talking 20 some years now um and that's when i started hardcore um is what i would say um again i knew i had this opportunity um but i didn't know enough and you know i i knew what pheasants forever was i'd been to some banquets and in western and springs actually um before we were a pheasants forever chapter we were it was called um western and springs i think it was pheasant country unlimited um, okay. something of that. So, so it was like an LLC deal and they started that way back in the early eighties. So we, uh, um, then made the jump to pheasants forever in the early two thousands. Um, again, just a lot of what your organization could offer in, in and above of what was currently happening. And, um, so that kind of was all kind of hand in hand. Well, um, so be it when, um, I met my wife, her father-in-law, or my father-in-law, her dad, was um, 
chapter president or something. So, you know, um, oh. and I was in peer, but I was going back there more as, you know, I had more of an, a need to be on the farm more, more often. And, um, I thought, okay, I need to, I need to learn about this. So I went into some, some, some meetings and just like everyone else, you know, you start selling some raffle tickets, but I was really there for, to learn. And, mm. uh, that's, that's where it started. I knew I needed to get wiser. Um, how can pheasants forever help me? Um, and that's kind of where that started. And then it got more and more and more as my father-in-law and I started getting a little bit of prodding, like you need to get on the board, you know, sort of deal. So I was recruited, you know, which was, which Uh was great. And, and now I'm the recruitment department. So, (laughs) um, I'm always looking now for who's that next, uh, next generation. We need to make sure that this continues on. Um, but I started going to meetings then I started going to state meetings as a, as a, um, being on the board. And that's where I really started to learn, you know, these state meetings, uh, bringing in, you know, NRCS, soil conservation people, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these different departments, game and fish, and start talking programs and this and that. And that's where I started to really, these people can help me. And they can make mm-hmm. sure that I'm doing it and not making a 10-year mistake. Because as I've always said, you know, when you do a CRP contract or whatever, it's for 10 years, 10 or 15. You, you don't want to make an inadvertent, you know, mm-hmm. miscalculation on what you're doing. And, you you know, now you're into it. So um, very methodical. Um, but that's, that's the nice thing about PF with their Farm Bill Biologist programs. Um, met some wonderful people, um, built these relationships and that's kind of where I, you know, that's where my, my drive became. And then I, um, just truly appreciated everything about the organization and the model. I've always said the Mm. model is huge for our chapter. You know, the model, everyone else Mm. listening knows this model, but you know, um, you allow us chapters to do so much. Pheasants Forever allows our chapters to do so much. Um, and I think that encourages volunteerism. And I think it encourages buy-in because, hey, if we can raise these dollars, we can do X, Y, Z right here in Western and Springs or Gerald County, you know, sort of deal. And, and start helping these other people with these interests and filling in gaps, sort of things like that, but then using some of our revenues to uh, supplant what's going on. And, you know, then even working with our state partners, Game and Fish or School and Public Lands on, on, you know, what can we do as a chapter to make things better around us? And when our hunters do come in to visit us and blue platers, um, they've got some good places to go, you know, and have some luck, you know, sort of deal. So um, that's that's really kind of where it started. So for folks that uh, maybe are coming in cold and don't know the model, what Darwin's referring to is that <clears throat> when you're a Pheasants Forever or a Quail Forever chapter and you raise money at a local event, as a chapter volunteer, those volunteers like Darwin have 100% control of the dollars raised on how to spend those dollars. So you need to decide to do um, habitat work in the local community maybe a youth event in the local community. They might chip in dollars at the state level to help do state-driven projects or maybe a land acquisition, or they can um, throw dollars at legislative action, uh, Washington, D.C. efforts at the headquarters level to do fight for the farm bill or strengthen CRP in the farm bill. So the point is it's a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure model based on how the dollars are raised. Um, the other thing you mentioned, Darwin, you kind of you kind of got involved. Let's say two different prongs why you got involved. One, you were you were wooing a girl, yep. so your fa- your father in law was connected. So there's one level. The other is y- your your father passed away, and you wanted to perpetuate um, his habitat ethos on your property. Right. If I can articulate that or sum it up. And then you touched on what I hear every time I interview a chapter volunteer for this podcast. Um, what I ask that question, like, how'd you get involved? And I ask the follow-up question, why do you stay? And if I can say back to you, what I think I heard is you've 
got create relationships and friendships and it's those friendships and those connections that keep bringing you back and keep you volunteering it's it's part of it's become part of who you are is that accurate assessment it is you know it's just a special group you know um and i know you're going to talk about this later but you know you go to pheasant fest you know or whatever Hmm. there it we are so intertwined you know so many of us that do what we do and i think once we start you know explaining the model and talking about what our chapters can do you know eyebrows really start to raise and ears kind of start to perk and open up and listen and i've always you know a firm believer in you know just if you can get just 30 seconds of them to listen you drop a seed mm-hmm. you know yeah there's some there's some hardcore nose out there but they're also listening too, and I've seen it firsthand in in Westin Springs, where um, go to a coffee shop and you know, people just want to talk pheasants forever. You know, I can't believe mm. the pheasants we're seeing. You know, this and that. <laughs> they want talk about that if we didn't have a chapter. I just don't believe sure. that. Um, so yeah, it's you know, for me, why I'm still involved at 59 years old. It's I want to make sure the legacy. I want to do my part to make sure the legacy continues, not only in the state of South Dakota, but in our community. I see what it does at our local cafes, the reaction, uh, the grocery store. Uh, they love it when the hunters come in. Um, they know it's an integral part of their business model. Um, so, you know, my interest is to, again, now I'm recruiting, you know, I'm not getting younger. But, you know, I've got a nephew and I've got some very young. In fact, our board, we've got three guys on our board. Now our new president, first time he sat on the board, um, he's got a little girl, you know, and but he's just very interested in the youth, you know, and, and continuing this on. And, you know, he's all in. He, he's he's got the passion for it. He's he's learning. Um, I'm also not only the recruiter, I feel sometimes a little bit of a consultant, but that's good. You know, when the phone rings and, hey, you know, I want to ask you about this. What do you think about it? And I always tell them, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to give you my opinion and you can run with it and do with what you want. Because now you're in this leadership role, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you need to make it part of yours, too. But um, I've just seen so many of the, the guys before me and all the work, blood, sweat and equity they have put in to build this chapter and make it what it is. Um, I'm just a piece of that legacy now. But I want to just make sure it keeps going. So you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm dedicated, and I'm going to be there till they pry me out of a chair. Like you're too old to come into this meeting. You, you know, we got an age limit. You know, even though that would be discriminatory, but um, I, I'd, uh, I'd, 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 I'll just tell them I'll sit in the in the corner and be quiet now. But um, you know, I'm, I, uh, it's it's just a lot of fun too. You know, and at the end of the day, you know gotta have some fun in this in this world you know there's a lot of stuff that goes on so um brings me a lot of joy and i think it brings a lot of chapter members joy whether you're a quail forever chapter down in missouri or if you're south dakota north dakota minnesota care where you're at i think we're a special breed and i'm very proud to uh to display the logo of pheasants forever i know that right on folks if if you're listening and you'd like to learn more about becoming a volunteer. Um, hey, it's New Year's resolution time. <laughs> so we we could use volunteers all over the country if we if uh, we have a chapter or can get you connected to a chapter. If we have a don't have a chapter in your community, I can get you connected to a regional representative and help uh, talk with you about getting one started. Drop me an email at Bob S at pheasantsforever.org or Bob S B O B S at quailforever.org. I'll get you hooked up to the right person that can help answer your questions. Um, As we transition to um, kind of the meat of the episode, late season tips with Darwin, I want to give a shout out to Onyx, our national sponsor at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, as well as sponsor of On The Wing Podcast. Right now, you can use the code PFQF at onyxhunt.com dot com and get 20% off your yearly membership <clears throat> yearly membership at Onyx 20% off using the code PFQ 
QF. And Onyx will also make a donation back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Habitat mission for every time that code is used. All right, Darwin, the meat of the conversation, late season long tails. As we record this, we're, uh, <clears throat> we're, we're on January 8th, we're recording this, and it's going to run the following week. So there's a couple weeks left in South Dakota's pheasant hunting season. Let's start with the basics. <laughs> you, you've already said you're not going to run it over and under. You got a, you got a semi-automatic. Um, what's your preferred choke and uh, ammunition, shell size? Give us... Give us the basics for Darwin wheel drive. I, I will do that. I, I do want to say real quick though. I, it, how cool is on X? I mean, what yeah. what a what a life changing thing they have brought to the uplands. Um, but yeah, and I use them on my on my uh, all of my habitat work too. I use them for a lot of things. So they're a wonderful wonderful group, and we're so fortunate that they're uh, they're uh, available to all of us. But um, yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a 12 gauge guy, Bob. Um, I I know these sub sub gauges have become very popular, but so have the mm-hmm. 6.5 Creedmoors, and they're not a 30 out six. So let's just put <laughs> put it out there. But you know, um, I'm a 12 gauge guy, and I really don't change my choke. I put in a modified choke, and I stick mm-hmm. with it, and I shoot five shot all year long, all year long, whether okay. it's early season, late season, or whenever. Um, I shoot Prairie Storm. That's about the only thing that I that I buy and shoot. Again, some some of them proceeds go to PF, so you know why not? Yeah, but right um, but yeah, so I'm a 12 gauge modified choke and um, five shot uh, consistent throughout the season. I know how it patterns, and I you know I have good luck with it. So um, I know this time of year a lot of people will play and you know go to a full choke, uh, maybe go to a four shot or something. You know if you're shooting lead. Um, you know, and that's all fine and well, but you know, I've always thought like shooting shotgun, I'm going to go back to my references as a basketball player is like, um, shooting free throws. It's, it's all in a rhythm and it's all in just continuing, you know, it's the same thing shot after shot after shot, you know, and you start throwing things. And again, you know, I do a little big game hunting too, you know, you start changing grains of bullets and this and that. And then all of a sudden doubt starts entering your mind when you miss, you know, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I'm, maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't have changed my choke out and maybe I should have just stuck with my modified or whatever. But, you know, I think that's in each to each, you know, whoever wants to make that determination when they're out there, but I just like the consistency. Um, I don't have these creeping thoughts entering my mind. Like I should have never changed my choke out today. Cause I can't hit the blue sky today. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you for the same two reasons. I think consistency, right. you know, the same swing, the same lead. You know, if you're using the same choke, the same ammo, consistency is king. Yep. And then I'm right there with you on confidence. You know, confidence, whether you're bird hunting, you're trusting in a dog, you're shooting, is the same with a baseball player riding a hot streak. Right. It, you know, if if your head's telling you you're gonna hit that bird, you're gonna hit that bird. Yep. If your head's wondering, like, God, I should have put in the different show, <laughs> it's gonna screw with it you. It does. So I totally agree with you. I, I totally agree. You're absolutely right. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do a confession right now. I do have an over under bomb. I got a 16 gauge over under and I carry it early season when I have some friends come in to hunt the property on opening weekend. And, you know, it's really, I'm just carrying a gun to carry a gun. So, you know, for me, it's just for looks, but it's light, but, um, I do have an over under, but, um, when I, when it's time to get serious, um, you know, I'm, it's the Benelli time and it's the 12 gauge and it's, the, it's the modified choke with five shots and it's, and then it's, then, you know, it's getting, getting busy. So. Yeah. Right. All right. I know you went hunting last weekend, so these tips are going to be perfectly relevant for right now. So kind of give a, what's the lay of the land in South Dakota right now? What, what are things like and uh, roll out a tip for yeah, us? Yeah. So you know, um, 
we talked to when we talked Bob about doing this podcast you had referenced you know late season hunt in South Dakota and the first thing kind of went to my mind is late season in South Dakota can take a lot of different looks you know it wasn't very many years ago that you know it was brown throughout the year so you know you didn't have to fight the snowpack and the snow conditions and it was warm um and even this year you know i'm going to talk about this year a little bit um i had my uh friends from ohio and the schwinn family here in the early december uh they've come back uh, every year to hunt with us on the property since we did that um fundraising event for pf back in 2020 in covid year and with the with uh with the flush right. travis frank and right so if folks recognize your name you were on yes. the flush podcast um what'd you say three four years yep, ago it was in 2020 as well as december of 2020 okay. it was covid year and um so they came back so they come the first saturday in december and um we hunted this year the first weekend of december and i've got pictures of them in their short sleeves and it was hot you know it was 60 some degrees it was like opener and i said you guys came in december and you get to hunt like it's opening weekend i said sort of deal so you know late season can vary but you know right now in south dakota um it's gotten winter um we had a really really nice fall um you know it was christmas when we got the first significant snowfall here um, back in the Western and Springs area and here in Pierre, about six to eight inches of snow, but it was okay. preceded with about an inch of rain. So it was a wonderful mm. moisture event, um, but it also created a layer of crust, you know, and, and the mm. ground and the snow is loud. So, um, you know, right now, if you're going to come to South Dakota if, or if anyone listening that's here in South Dakota is still going to go out, um, it's, it's loud. So, you know, your tactics need to be pretty sharp um we went out saturday um not a big organized group you know a lot of times just a couple weeks ago i i um invited our our volunteers at help at our chapter banquet i invite them out every year to come hunt since they volunteer and they do the work i invite them out we go spend a day hunting um there was no snow on the ground then but the birds were still wild so if there's one common denominator whether it's brown or white in December and January, the birds are flighty. So, mm. you know, good luck. Good luck. Yeah. So, um, but right now, you know, my first tactic, you know, is, you know, of course, everything is habitat. You know, it's gotten cold and these birds are feeding right now. So, you know, right now, and it's going to be cold now until the end, end of season at the end of January now, um, you're looking for food source. You're looking where are them grain fields, them high energy grain fields, you know, corn, milo, whatever that is, um, and find that thermal cover that's by them. You know, from a habitat perspective, if it looks gnarly mm -hmm. and inviting as a pheasant hunter, you just go. You just go mm. and, you know, that's more than likely where they're going to be. Uh, my CRP is still standing right now. We did hunt some grass, and there's birds still in the grass, but they're not very far from the food. So my first tactic okay. would be, you know, with this year is, um, you know, concentrate on the habitat. You you think that it's going to produce a bird, and you're most likely you're going to be right. Follow your gut. You know, it's <laughs> we all know that. Um, but, you know, other than that, you know, just keep your hunting group small. Um, these mm. birds are wild and they hear everything right now. And um, they hear you coming from a long ways. And so just, you know, I think find some hunters you trust, you know, not mm. guys that are hollering at their, at their young pup or something, you know, sort of deal. Bring, if you really want to shoot birds and, you know, and that's your main, main vision, mm -hmm. um, you know, keep that group small. Um, How small? Well, the other day there was two of us and we did mm -hmm. it way different. So that was mm -hmm. another one of my tactics. But, you know, I'm saying find that group um, because I also say you have to change how you hunt in December. You can hunt like it's opening weekend. These birds are young. Uh, they're uneducated, mm -hmm. um, laying back a lot, one here, two here. This time of year, these birds are gathered together. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, you really want to concentrate. This isn't a again for me it's not a day-long hunt because hmm. you know 
you really need to concentrate and go where you think these birds are piled up at. And it might just be a two or three walk deal and you just concentrate on those areas. But um, that's for me, keep your group small, um, but you got to create a plan of attack. You know, you can't do a party hunt like you do, line them up and block. It, it, it hmm. just doesn't work. These birds are way ahead of you. Um, just like you remember the Titans, if you remember that movie, <laughs> hey coach, yeah. you got to throw them something they haven't seen yet, you know, uh -huh. at the end. This is a time of year you need to throw them something they haven't seen yet. So uh, on Saturday, one thing my brother and I did, um, we of course, the other thing is use the wind to your biggest advantage. But sometimes mm -hmm. it's not possible just accessing where you need to get to. You know, mm -hmm. the wind just isn't. So maybe it's, you know, put that guy into the wind to try to access that piece, but bring a guy through the back door you know, that they're hearing something on two different levels, you know, and it's a little bit confusing. Mm. We've done that, and we've had some really good opportunity in just getting some pass shooting, you know. Mm. And, and, you know, my brother and we zigzag, we kind of offset. He came from the east, I came from the west. He concentrated on the north edge, I concentrated on the south edge. And we just slowly and methodically worked through there, and we had birds passing over us, you know, um, both directions so you may get an opportunity to you know just even get a little pass shooting in if you just change that tactic up a little bit because if you just line up and walk and try to position blockers then birds are going to be gone mm. and you know you can chase them all day then you know all you're doing is trying to catch up to them um so i really like so that wait, wait just to follow up question when you and your brother are hunting did you guys park at the same spot and leave from the same nope. area, or did you drop? So one person got dropped off on the east side, another person parked in the west side, and then you you sort of work towards yes. each other yes. and then pair. Okay, because it it does make a difference, like you said. To you got to throw a little something within safety. Right. You got to throw a little bit something where you're coming at them from two directions at the same time, don't you? Exactly right. And and that's what I that's that's a great thing, Bob. That's why I said keep your group small and get that mm -hmm. group that you can trust. You know, mm -hmm. you know, my brother, we we don't take low shots and these and things. You know, know these hunters that you're going to go with. But if you're really serious mm -hmm. about going out and, you know, getting a harvest of birds, you know, mm -hmm. um, you have to be a little creative um, this time of year because these birds, and they hear everything. This, this snow mm -hmm. is loud right now. Even with the wind, it's, it's pretty difficult. So, again, you know, yeah, you know, create a separate plan of attack. Give them something they haven't seen before. Um, and I always said, you know, um, we're learning every time we go. I'm still learning mm -hmm. these crazy birds. They're, they just they just blow my mind how they know exactly what's going on and what's even more crazy, how they know how to split that 50 yard line. You know, they're just <laughs> always outside that, you know, that, that, uh -huh. that shot, you know, and like, how do you know just to be on that furthest edge? But, um, so yeah. Um, and then the other thing is just hunt them transition edges. I'm a firm mm. believer, whether that's early season or late season, um, some of my CRP grass is still standing. I've got a kind of a mix of cool season grasses and warm season. It's a 40-60 split of grass seed. And I really like to work that switchgrass blue stem edge. It kind of butts up on a smaller, shorter grass. You know, they don't like to be smothered in that grass all day. Um, it, I'm, I'm always looking for them transition edges or maybe that grass along that food plot or some grass along some cattails or that, you know, that woody cover. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a little crick that runs through a um, little water holding area for the birds and the deer and stuff. And that transition, there's a bird in there every time you come through mm -hmm. there. There's always them transition edges. Um, and the other thing is, it's it was tough walking. I mean, mm. you got you got to be tough walking because of the amount of snow. Yes, yes. And mm -hmm. it wasn't terrible. It wasn't hip deep, but it's a whole different workout. You know, so your mm -hmm. energy levels are going to deplete quickly. So that's why I'm like, concentrate on, on really the habitat that you think are going to, you know, produce a bird. Um, look for some sign, look for some tracks. Um, you know, if you're a local hunter and you're thinking, maybe I'm going to go out this Saturday, maybe go out on a early morning and scout it a little bit. You know, is there some sign around? 
you know, sort of deal, or you see some birds around or something. Mm. So, you know, a little bit of scouting this time of year doesn't hurt either. Um, but then again, you know, um, you just got to get out and hunt too. Um, and that's the other thing is keeping your expectation, Bob, mm-hmm. you know, put your expectations in reality mode this time of year, you're going to see a lot of birds, but your shooting opportunities, you're going to want to choose very wisely. You know, mm. you go out there and start banging at long birds, you know, and you're going to be busting a lot of birds out. So be be um, be a little selective of your shot and what you're comfortable. And, and the other thing is just the other thing is they're just hard to knock down right now. I cleaned a couple uh, from our hunt on Saturday. And, boy, I'll tell you what, the fat reserves are building up and them pelts are tough. And I had a couple BBs that barely penetrated, you know, into the mm. breast. So um, be very selective of your of your shots, too. Um I think is another key thing. So you've talked about a couple things that got piqued my interest for this question. You, you own a piece of property that you regularly hunt. So you probably know particular piece of property, like the back of your hand, Mm -hmm. not saying that's the only place you hunt, but you know, you know, this one property, like the back of your hand, how and I'm thinking about it from a non-residence perspective. Maybe they're coming for a long weekend. How frequently, like, if we're thinking of that cattail slough winter cover next to food, how if you hunt that on, say, you're out for on a long weekend, you're out there on a Thursday, and you hunt that spot and it's just chock full of birds, will that spot reload? as quickly as friday or do you have to give it a rest for a saturday like is it dependent upon what the weather's like in that given time like what you know for a person that's living and breathing with a particular piece of property what what's your advice on how quickly birds will recharge the best of the best spot i i really believe bob that them birds are giving the conditions all depends on what the conditions are right now, them birds are going to go back to that cover pretty quick, you know, um, Mm. unless there's another piece of some really good thermal cover or some food somewhere that, you know, maybe is a half mile from this location or something. But, you know, if, if this place has birds and there's maybe a, a a picked cornfield close by it, and there's really not much else around, um, them birds are going to come back. Now they're going to be flighty, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to move quick, you know, and that's where, again, you know, your tactics on, you know, try to, you know, use that wind to your advantage, et cetera. But, um, you know, yeah, I'm fortunate I have this property, but I've also learned and watched these birds. Um, mm-hmm. They don't want to leave that habitat. Mm-hmm. You know, there, I very rarely do I see these birds fly a mile like a grouse will and go over into, you know, just, uh, a grazed pasture especially this time of year um they're in survival mode now you know they're burning they're burning energy um their fat reserves are going to start being consumed Uh, we're getting more snow now and we're called to get some additional snow this week so food resource is going to get tough to get to um they're going to be looking to reserve that energy level and I don't, you know, that's a good, great question, but they're going to come back to that. That's, that's their survival mode at this point in time, right. you know, and, right. and they're, um, they're not going to hang around long. You know, they hear, <laughs> they hear you, they're, they hear you. they're uh, going to be ready to go. But, you know, again, that's a little bit of a tactic, you know, if you know that. And, um, but, you know, the other thing, Bob, I will say this, you know, we, like you said earlier in your intro, you know, our season you know, now goes in South Dakota to the end of January. Um, there's not a lot of, a ton of hunting pressure. My nephew went with mm. six friends the other day on another piece of ground up by Virgil, South Dakota, and did some hunting and said they saw a ton of birds. He had six guys, six guns, and they shot three birds, but they said they mm. saw hundreds. So, mm. you know, um, the pressure isn't crazy right now. So if you're interested to go out and hit some of these spots, I just say, go, you're going to find, like I said, if it looks gnarly and birdie, just go hit it. You don't have to burn yourself out and hunt all day. Cause it's tough out there too. You know, you got to mm-hmm. prepare. Um, 
it's not easy. My legs were really tired on Sunday, <laughs> but um, I'm no kid yeah. either. But, um, you know, and then, you know, another thing is just work slow. You know, we talked mm. about it even the early season and, um, you know, just work these areas really slow. And I will say this, if, if you do see a bird get up, there's going to be more birds getting up because they're bunched up right now. It's not like, you know, early October or mid-season October, early November, where, you know, they can be a little onesie-twosie yet in South Dakota if it's 60 degrees. You know, they're in their thermal mm-hmm. zone there. They're not cold. They're not – they're eating a little grain, uh, but the days are long yet. They can kind of summer loaf and do their thing. But right now, um, these birds are, are – they're congregated now. Um, yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're in survival mode. Yeah. Well, as as we round the corner to closing thoughts, I want to just ask one more follow up question before I ask you for your final thought. And and I'm thinking about you know. So my last question about how quickly will the best spots recharge? And you know, I don't want to paint the picture for folks where they should just be hammering the same spot over and over the best cover because we know that can stress, particularly the hens particularly in inclement weather where you're pushing next year's breeders out of the best cover, particularly when it's snowing or it's, it's super cold. So be cognizant of that. You don't want to just hammer spots. I was just more looking for Darwin's input on how quickly they reload. But I also want to follow that up with, you know, as we changed message exchange messages last year, now, you got some snow on the ground now, but last year was devastating. At least it seemed like it was going to be devastating from a winter perspective. And lo and behold, you know, the key isn't, I mean, it's important. Winter carryover is important, but it's not the key. Spring nesting season, which, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, I have the benefit of watching you on the screen, Darwin. You know where yep. I'm going with this. Winter, you were very concerned. I was. Everybody was very concerned at how bad the winter was. But with the right habitat on the ground, which you had, in an almost perfect nesting season, pheasants are survivors. And this season, my assumption is this season has exceeded your expectations, particularly if we were to roll back the clock to to January 8th, 2023 a year ago you would have been apocalyptic Mm -hmm. you would have thought oh my gosh i've lost everything and then nesting season came around you got great habitat on the ground brood cover and things have been terrific for you this year haven't they They, yes they have and um i know just out the other day and you know hens really have a very short lifespan you know on on average you know some of them will nest once and that's about the end if you're lucky you can maybe have you know get a you know two nests two seasons of nesting out of a hen we've got unbelievable numbers of hens this year and i just know Mm. that's that's hatched hens you know i i Mm. I do not believe you know that um their survival had to be very good last year now of course i'm not a biologists or scientists and with trackers on these and everything this is just watching what's going on on the landscape but the number of hens we have it's just crazy and i know it has Mm. to be from the hatch so you're absolutely right you know everything all of our success all of our opportunity comes from nesting season and i will say this you know um after that blizzard last year i was very concerned i went out on my property i had um tree lines and it you know it snapped and you know it just wrecked you know my some of my woody cover and such and it was eerily quiet i'm like i Mm. saw like 20 birds and i'm like there should be hundreds of birds where are these birds and right away i'm looking at these 15 foot drifts and i'm like they're just buried under there and i was yeah i was sick almost um but as i thought about it more i'm like there's no way there's no way that could have knocked these numbers down like this so i'm very fortunate in where i live and a lot of times you can create habitat but i also tell you know you have to look what's around you 
and I'm very fortunate, you know, um, we're kind of on the um, eastern edge of what's called the Wessington Hills. And there's mm. a lot of native ground around here yet that's, um, and we've got a lot of cattle producers. So it was in January last year, and I thought, these birds went somewhere. And then I read, you know, they'll travel up to three miles, you know, if conditions are severe enough to look for, you know, what they're looking for. And I've got a cattle producer to my south. I got a cattle producer to my east. And I've got one to the west and one to the north. And I drove by each one of their places. And, of course, they've cleaned out their cattle lot to, to feed their cattle. Mm -hmm. And lo and mm -hmm. behold, I look back and they've got these tree groves, you know, they kind of use as snow shelters, you know, and such. Sure. And there's birds running all over. So these mm -hmm. birds did move off my property, you know, because the CRP grass, the snow was deep. It laid it down. Sure. And sure. my food plots were covered up. I mean, just buried. And um, the ground was hard. The snow was hard. They weren't scratching through three feet of snow to get to you know, the egg ground that we have that been combined. So they just relocated. But, you know, spring came, they remembered where home was and they came right back and uh, <laughs> they knew where the nesting opportunity was. So they are selective in that regard as yeah. well. So Another good example of that slogan, what's good for the bird is good for the herd Absolutely. or vice versa. Absolutely. What's good for the herd is good for the bird. And, you know, we promote a lot about the connection between management of habitat through ranching mm -hmm. and um just another good example of these birds is as matt morlock coined they got a hot lunch yes they did in a in a in a snowstorm and uh they were close enough to your habitat to come back in the spring and bird yeah. numbers responded this uh this spring into summer and you've had a good hunting season so as we close out this episode, any final thought or anything you want to underscore for folks that may be contemplating one final trip yeah. to South Dakota this hunting season? You know, we talked about a few of the tactics, Bob. One of my one of the things I really, really believe in this time of year is just stop and hold. You know, when you're out mm. there walking and you're tired, um, find yourself in a little pocket of cattails or that that deep thermal cover you know whether it's warm season grasses or something um i i said it well you're gonna walk by birds early season you walk by birds late season um the other day saturday i just stopped and i stood and stood there for like 20 minutes got a drink of water just kind of catching my breath my legs were aching and i had birds getting up around me every direction you know so really so you know i think we still, you know, it gets loud, and I think when that mm -hmm. noise stops, you know, it's kind of, they get a little nervous, just like you know, mm -hmm. you know, the old move slow, just stop um, sort of deal. So stop and hold, you know, take that break out there, but be prepared, you know, because they'll get up in suspected places that you're just like, <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, you know, sort of deal. But that that's another one, I think, too, you know, this time of year is it's, it's work. Um, so mm -hmm. I think if you just, you know, stop, Find a, find a place and just kind of hunker down a little bit and wait and see what happens. Um, it's not a race, you know. Mm -hmm. You don't need to push to the end so fast. Um, you'll find some opportunities if you just stop and hold a little bit too. So especially if you've got that good dog, you know, um, just, you know, take a breather and let him just kind of, him or her, just kind of, you know, snoot around a little bit. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. Yeah. But Right on. Well, thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with me and most importantly darwin thank you for being a volunteer for more than two decades it absolutely makes a difference and i know you've seen it but i uh, really sincerely appreciate the effort um, being a volunteer is something special so thank yeah, you you're welcome and um from my perspective i appreciate your guys's leadership you know i talked a little bit ago you know just a second ago about what's around you um us as chapters can do some wonderful things, but we need you folks to lead it on a national level, you know, whether it's Farm Bill or our great lobbyists, you know, working on the Farm Bill up in D.C. Um, we appreciate, I know you appreciate us chapters, but you guys need to hear it too, that leadership is respected and um, we appreciate all the work you do on a big landscape deal too. So appreciate wow. that. That's awesome. That, that's wonderful. Thank you very much for the kind words and on behalf of the entire organization of employees 
Uh, I'll invite listeners to come meet Darwin because I know he'll be at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Come meet all of us, uh, the volunteers, the um, the employees, our biologists. Um, we got the big shindag, the Super Bowl of the Uplands coming, uh, kicking off with Leap Day, February 29th. Concert for Conservation with Trampled by Turtle, Turtles at the Washington Pavilion in downtown Sioux Falls, followed by March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic at the Denny Sanford Premier Center in Sioux Falls. You can learn more at pheasantfest.org. For Darwin Wheel Driver, I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks.